book of Acts. Book of Acts. Book of Acts. What a cool book that the Lord has given us. Um, what a bunch of chapters that he has given us these last several weeks. Um, but le- before we jump into it today, um, just ad- bow our hearts and admit our need for the Lord to to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, we know that we we love you only because you first loved us, Father. Lord, we know that we are gathered here today only because of the work that you have done by and through your spirit to call a people unto yourself. Lord, we come this morning to your word to pray, to read, to see, Father, what you would have us see. Who are you? Who are we in relation to you? What is this plan that you have for redeeming a people unto yourself? What does that look like? How is this played out? Lord, these are all things that we see in Acts, and Lord, we want to see them from your perspective, from the manner that you would have us see them, not how we would see them, Lord, but how you would have us see them. So we pray for that today. We pray for that today. Come speak to us through your word, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so admittedly, I have been in a major wrestle with these five books in Acts this week. And and it's hard because as, as, as Christians, as believers, as the redeemed in Christ, I think, I think we often come to the book of Acts from this perspective of, of, okay, Christ came and did all this and then said, now go do all of this. I think that's how we often approach the book of Acts. Churches get their mission statements and vision statements and this is who we are. This is, this is who we're to be. This is who we're going to go be out of the book of Acts, mainly out of the book of Acts. It's very prescriptive and it's very descriptive. But when you really start to dig into the book of Acts, you see that it's descriptive of God. It's descriptive of of him and who he is and what he's doing. And then therefore it's very prescriptive of what God is doing through the hearts and lives of the people that he is drawing unto himself for his name and his glory. So it's prescriptive and descriptive, but both of those are wrapped up in him, in, in, in God, in, in Christ the Son. But we, we don't often approach the book of Acts like that. We approach it like, okay, okay, now Christ came and I'm, I'm excited and I have belief. Now I'm, I'm going to go tell the world I want to be like these guys. Or we read it and we look at these guys and go, there's no way for me to get there. There's no way for me to live like these guys live. But either way, the truth of it is the book of Acts is about God and God's plan to redeem a people, calling them unto himself to glorify him, to worship him, to believe upon the Son. And the prescriptions that we see and acts are also about God and what he's doing, not about what we're doing. So this morning, before we jump into this, I really want to start off, um, I want to start off by taking us actually to the book of Revelation. So if you'll, you'll flip back um, towards the end of the Bible and, and open up to Revelation chapter 7, Revelation 7. We're going to read verses 9 through 12. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. 
and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's the end picture. This is, this is one of the pictures that we see in the book of Revelation that God gives us to see. This is how this goes. This is his plan from the beginning. This is the end. This is what our eyes are looking to. So when we see and we read about these people in Acts, this is what they've seen. This is what they believe. This is what their faith is causing them to run to, this end scene of a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping the Lamb. But don't disconnect this then from the beginning that we see in Genesis when God created the entire world. And it was perfect and it was right. That was a plan of God. That was his plan. And then he created man and woman in his image to be image bearers, to reflect his glory, to have dominion over the earth and worship him and, and honor him and see him for who he is and to be in communion with him, to walk with him in the garden. Perfection, no death, no suffering, no pain. Only God and his glory and our perfect relationship with him. That was the plan that we see in the first part of Genesis. But when he created us in his image to be a reflection of his glory, what did we quickly do? We weren't content with just being a reflection. We weren't content with just worshiping God. We wanted to be him. We wanted to have all of his power and authority and wisdom, and we wanted to rule as God. And so we quickly fell, and sin enters the picture, and all of this is destroyed from the beginning. But then you skip forward a couple verses into Genesis 3, and you quickly see that we get another quick reveal of God's plan. His plan is to not leave us there. His plan is to not leave us in this death, in this, in this state of destruction because of our decision to not honor him and worship him, but to be like him. No, he doesn't leave us there. He says, now I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to make this right once again for my good, for my glory, that you will worship me. I'm going to call to myself a people that will worship me in spirit and truth, and I'm going to do this. And in Genesis 3, we see a picture of, of, of the first mention of the gospel where God says, I'm going to send through the seed of Eve one who will crush the head of the serpent and redeem a people who will once again reflect my image. There will be a reflection of my glory that will in that in that in that in end of all of this will bow and worship at the feet of the Lamb. That's what I'm going to do. So we get to see that plan. Fast forward now a couple more chapters in Genesis. In Genesis 12, we see a guy named Abram come on the scene, and God says, "God says, Abram, I'm going to make you as vast as the dust in the earth. I'm going to make you greater. I'm going to make your, your your people greater than the stars in the sky." And what does it say? It says Abram believed him. Abram believed him. So that was a, another picture of God revealing his plan to us. That was another picture of God revealing his plan to us. Now fast forward several hundreds of years, thousands of years, and we see then Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who leaves his throne of glory to come to redeem his people. So this is another picture that God is giving us in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where God is revealing to us his plan. This is all about God and his plan. When left up to us, we screwed it up, and that wasn't a surprise to God. He knew that this was a plan that he had. So we see Christ come and live the life that we couldn't live, sacrifice himself for you and for me, that we might be one of these in this in picture of Revelation did that for us because we couldn't but then we come to the book of acts and we like to go okay he did that now this is what i get to go do for him no no that's not it at all 
The book of Acts then is just another reveal of God's plan to this end picture that we see in Revelation. The book of Acts is just another picture of what God is doing. And what's amazing about the book of Acts is that we get to finally, we, 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 we see then, not finally, but he, in, in his time, and he reveals to us then how is this plan going to be carried out from, from the point of Christ forward. He's going to carry it out through the hearts and lives of his people. He's going to carry it out through the hearts and lives of those who would see him and believe and walk forward in faith by faith. This life that he calls us to is lived. It's by faith from belief. We don't come to the book of Acts and read this and see all of these, these people. These aren't like God's avengers that are coming to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's not what this are. There was one avenger, one hero in this story. That was Christ. And look what he tells his disciples in Acts 1, verses 4 through 8. He says, all right, you've seen and you've believed. You've seen and you've believed. That belief is going to go make you testify to this to the ends of the earth but don't forget genesis don't forget genesis we can't do this on our own we can't do this on our own this isn't done in our own power we screw it up because of our sin and so christ says you're going to go and be a testimony of me to the ends of the earth. You're going to go and testify to this gospel that people might hear and believe and be saved to the end result of this picture that we have in Revelation. He says, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the very spirit of God. I'm going to send you the same spirit that rose me from the dead. That's going to live in you. That's going to live in you. That's going to, that spirit of God in you is going to equip you to proclaim. That spirit of God is going to equip you to go. That spirit of God is going to equip you to be bold and to speak accurately and to speak powerfully. It's the spirit of God. Don't think this is you. I did this. You couldn't. I did. You can't. It's done. It's finished. Believe. See. Have faith. Be filled with the spirit that I'm giving you. Now go proclaim. That's all he's left us to do is to go and proclaim the gospel. It's done, it's complete, it is finished in Christ. He's saying, see and believe and go tell the world. That's what he's saying. So then we see just in Acts, just these just magnificent moves of the Spirit, and it gets super radical. It's rad. It's rad to get to see what the Spirit of God does in and through the hearts of his people. It's rad to get to see how the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea to all of Samaria and then to the ends of the world. That's rad. You know why that's rad? Because that means it came here. These people saved by the Holy Spirit of God who seen and believed, filled with the Holy Spirit, took the gospel to the ends of the world. That what? That we might hear and see and believe. That these were normal, everyday people. These were people like you or me. These were fishermen. These were tradesmen. These were people working in the marketplaces. These were families. These were families, family people, not any different than you or me, who beheld God and all of his glory and his perfect, righteous son, worthy to be praised, who came and lived the life that we couldn't live. They seen this. They believed this. And their lives were wrecked forever. They had faith. And it was their faith that took them through. And it is our faith that takes us through. By and through the spirit of God. Faith granted to us by God. Lived out through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's by faith. It's by belief. Don't go through this book with the lens that this is what you have to to do or this is what it looks like to be or that you can add to what Christ did that's not the point of the book the point of the book is for us to see how God he comes upon his people saves them brings them to life reveals himself in all of his glory to them, and they then go proclaim this to the rest of the world 
that's the point of the book of Acts, for us to see God's plan in action from Genesis and, and then to Abraham to then all through the Old Testament to Christ, now to this end picture of Revelation. That's God's plan. He's revealing it to us. It's prescriptive and descriptive, all of him and what he's doing. And by faith, we, we, we follow. By faith, we move through this life proclaiming his glory and salvation that he's given to us it's by faith you can't see a conversion like Saul going to Paul and look at that and go that was totally Paul he had that in and of himself you can't see that and go that's that is only God only God can do that you can't see Stephen do what he didn't preach and, and then just go to his death and say forgive them that doesn't happen in and of ourselves that's not an intrinsic thing to us. Most of us, most all of us outside and apart from Christ are going to shriek and run. We've seen the disciples do it the night Christ was arrested. They were runners apart from the spirit of God. They were the classic case of a runner. And we're runners too if we really want to get down to the heart of it. We're runners too. But by faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we stand and proclaim because of Christ. He did for you what you cannot do, what you could never do, what you would never do. And so we need to go through the book of Acts with that lens. There are no Avengers here. There are no super apostles. There are no super Christians. They are people who saw, who believed, and then walked by faith. Um, so now we're going to jump into ch chapters 17 and, and go through 23. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it. Some of you are disappointed in that, and some of you are saying hallelujah. But I'm not going to read it. Um, but I, I think where, where I think the Lord has been drawing me this week in just the last couple weeks of studying this is we just want to go through this. We want to see how the Holy Spirit of God is moving in the hearts of his people. What do we see as the outflow of the Holy Spirit? What do we see as the outflow of the Holy Spirit working through the hearts and lives of his people? And then we want to pray for that same spirit. We want to see and believe, and we want to walk by faith, believing that he too is going to make all of this an outflow of the Holy Spirit in and, and through us, by him. By him. Okay. So, chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does the babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place and they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said 
for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And then he goes on to, to preach the rest of the gospel, and it says some people rejected, some people believed, some people invited him back. But look right off the bat what the Holy Spirit of God working in Paul does as he enters the scene in Athens. It says that his spirit was provoked by the sin and death around him. His spirit was provoked by the sin and death around him, and that caused him to begin speaking. He couldn't take the fact that as he walks into this community of people, they were so dead in their sins, they had no hope. They were dead and lost, destined for hell. They had no hope. There was no Christ there. They were worshiping everything but Christ, and it grieved Paul. It grieved him to the point that he couldn't help but open his mouth and proclaim the gospel. Sometimes I wonder with us, as we, as we go through this life by faith with this tension of, well, I, I want to be in the spirit, I'm in the spirit, or I'm not in the spirit, I'm, I'm battling fear and doubt and, and worry, but no, no, do we ever, do we stop to see the sin around us? Do we even, do we even realize the sin around us? Or are we so caught up in the here and the now and the me-centered, I just got to get through my day, I got to check these boxes, I got to make sure I'm doing everything I got to do for Jesus, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. Do we ever stop and just look up and, and see the sin and decay around us and go, Lord, Lord, they need you. Are we grieved? Does our spirit ever grieve for the sin that we see around us? Was the recognition and the sorrow for sin that caused Paul to open his mouth and proclaim the gospel? Are our friendships and our family relationships and our coworker relationships, are those relationships so important to us that we look past the fact that they may be unbelievers and living in sin? Does their sin grieve us to the point, not that it would make us angry or, or grieve us, not that we would look past it, but like grieve us the fact that this is somebody that you care about and love, that's your friend, that's your family member, that's your coworker, and they're going to hell. But God, but Christ, proclaim the gospel. I mean, does that, do we see that? It says Paul saw that. It's an outflow of the Holy Spirit in Paul. Another point that we see in this passage that, that Paul brings right to the forefront is, is how the gospel, how the proclamation of the gospel relates to every situation. Notice in verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And then the passages above that, he even uses some of their own Greek philosophers' writings to point out that you too are, know that there's something more, you're searching, you're looking. But it's this message of the gospel that's relatable to life. These people were dead and dying, and Paul recognized that idol worship was a main point to this death and decay and sin. This was a burden that they were carrying, and they didn't have no way out. So he uses the very heart of, their, of the burden and starts speaking the gospel. He gets right to the gospel. Every situation presented to you in your families, in your friendships, with your coworkers, with fellow people in the church, no matter what we're going through, the gospel relates. Grief, loss, fear, pride, suffering, persecution, anger. The gospel is the answer to all of that. You have a friend or family or the suffering, preach the gospel. You have a friend or a family member, a coworker who's just full of anger, or maybe anger towards you, or your anger to Preach the gospel. The gospel relates to everything. I think lots of times when we gather as believers, we're like, man, yeah, it was just like, I'm going through this, I'm going through that, and I'm really, I can't get my head down, or I can't get my head up, and I'm just really suffering right now, or this is going on in my life, and I can't get past it. And what do we often say? I'll pray for you. Just pray about it. Give it to God. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. 
Jesus Christ took this. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. There's nothing left to do but believe and have faith and walk after Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Are you suffering? I'm sorry. Let me help you suffer well. Let's get our eyes on Jesus and keep moving forward. Preach the gospel. The gospel relates to every situation in front of us. The gospel is good for the unbeliever, and the gospel is good for the believer. I need the gospel every single day. I need to know that Christ came and lived and died for me. I need to see that right in front of me daily. I need to dwell upon that and through the power and the Holy Spirit of God, see that and believe it and then have faith and just keep following. The gospel relates to every situation. Chapter 18, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, If your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus. I don't want to pronounce that the other way. A worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Christus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I, am, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So here we see in this, in this passage, we're introduced to, to this couple, this man and, and his wife, Aquila and Priscilla. They're names that you'll continue to see throughout the, the New Testament. And what's interesting to note in this passage is, is, is that by and through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, by the ordin by the but by God orchestrating all things, Paul arrives in Corinth and is looking for a job. He coincidentally runs into Aquila and Priscilla who need to hear the gospel. And he starts working with them in his trade. He starts working with them in his trade and no doubt is preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Now, we don't know for sure if, they'd, if they had come from Rome as Christians or if they were still just unconverted Jews. We, we don't know that. Um, but what we can infer by the fact that when Paul leaves Corinth, they go with him. There was an intense discipling of Paul to them in that time and season. And where was that discipling occurring? Where was that discipling occurring? On the job. In their trade have you given thought have you given thought that perhaps god has perfectly molded you and crafted you and created you and specifically has given you interest in or skills in a trade as a businessman called you to be a farmer or a teacher a school administrator or stay-at-home mom specifically to place you around unbelievers who desperately need to hear the gospel? Have you given thought to that? That you are where you are because God has orchestrated it, and your, jo your, 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 your job then is not necessarily to bring a paycheck home, but to see and believe and walk by faith and proclaim the gospel to those people? Is it possible that God has placed you right where you are so you can proclaim the gospel? I think the word says that's true. Clearly the Holy Spirit brought Paul together with this couple for the sake of the gospel. Is your workplace, Christian, is your workplace a means to an end as a paycheck? Or is your workplace a means to an end of that picture that we see 
in Revelation, where every tribe, tongue, nation, people group are gathered at the foot of the throne of glory and worshiping the Lamb. How many gospel proclamation opportunities are there with people that we spend 40 hours a week with? Verses 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. What does this show us about Paul? Paul's not some super avenger. Paul's not Batman. He's, he's fear. He's, he's, he's afraid in this picture. There's something going on in Corinth that has Paul just going, okay, Lord, like I, I, I'm going to need you. I need you. I need you. You have to do this. I need you to protect me. I'm here to proclaim. I'm here through the power and the Holy Spirit of God. You, you've brought me here, but Lord, I'm, there, there's something going on in Paul that he is found to be in fear of. There's a humanness in Paul that's revealed here that shows us that only by and through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul moves. Paul walks in faith. Paul proclaims. And what does Christ say to him? Do not be afraid. I am with you. Go back to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when Christ says, For all power and authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go proclaim. What have we to be afraid of? The question isn't about, are we afraid? Yes, we're afraid. There are times we're all afraid. For various reasons, we're afraid. The question then becomes, in those times of fear, will we shrink back or will we move forward in faith? Will we shrink back in our humanness and our doubt and our and our fear or will we move forward in faith and in and through the power of the Holy Spirit? That's the question. Not will you be afraid? Yes, you're going to be afraid. The faith Steve, Stephen proclaims is death. have we to be afraid of when proclaiming the gospel is it fear is it fear uh, there's instances with there's going to be fear what do we wrestle with though really here i mean none of us are facing we're not gonna be like sodden two on a, on a cross for preaching the gospel here in primeville so what do we have to be afraid of is it fear or is it pride is it fear or is it pride now, there's there's time for fear and by faith we walk I think we're fighting pride, too. In Acts 17, they called Paul a babbler. A babbler. Do I not share because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm afraid to be called a babbler? Do I not share because I'm afraid I'll look silly? Will I lose my friends if I preach the gospel to them? How will this impact my family relationships if I, if I proclaim the gospel to them? Will I lose my job if I proclaim you see the problem with those examples? The problem with those examples are I, 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 me, me, me. We've taken that end picture of Revelation to be all about Christ and his glory and what he has done and turned it into me, me, me. Thank you for seeing your salvation, but now it's going to be all about me, me, me. Thanks, I got it, I'm good, I'll stay right here and just live as, a, as perfect a Christian as I can be. No, we were saved for one purpose, to go and proclaim the gospel. This is where the tension of these scriptures come in. This is where the tension of these scriptures come in. We're still healed. We still have a sin that's inside of us that causes us to shrink back from what Christ has done and has told us then to go do, not in ourselves, but in him through the power of the Holy Spirit. We shrink back from that. The sin is still there. We have to repent and keep moving forward by faith. You are better. I've seen, I believe, you are better. Call me a babbler. I don't care. I'm going to proclaim the gospel because you know what? I am saved because of the gospel. What is of more value to us?
we value what people would think of us as a babbler? Or is Christ sacrificed on that cross for you, Christian, more of value? Faith. We have to believe this. We have to continue to speak these gospel truths to ourselves every single day. I need it. You need it. Or we'll shrink away in fear. 18, 24 through 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, which would be Corinth, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Through grace had believed. And for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So look, at this is a cool, cool picture that we get to see of an outflow of the working of the Holy Spirit of God in and through his, through, through his people. Note that it says Apollo was a gifted speaker. He was eloquent and competent. And he was fervent in spirit. And he was fervent in spirit. So that translated fervent in spirit actually means he was a man that was, like, he was walking in the spirit. He was in the spirit, living in the spirit. So then you can then see there's a direct connection between being in the spirit and look at the words that this passage is this passage uses to describe Apollos' teaching accurate, boldly, and with power. So it's by and through the Spirit of God that we proclaim the gospel. He equips us. He brings us out as we have faith and we trust him and we follow him and, and we're just immersed ourselves with all of Christ, including in the Word. He does this in us. So when we that time to proclaim comes, it's proclaimed with accuracy, bold, and with power. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. There's a connection of these things. Those things well, Apollos wasn't some, he might have been a guy who was not afraid to do public speaking. But his power to proclaim came from being in the spirit. When filled with the spirit, the gospel will flow out of our mouth. Are you feeling ill-equipped this morning to proclaim? Are you just like, I just don't know. I'm not, I'm not ready for that. I just, I don't know if I'm there. Are you feeling ill-equipped? I know there are times and seasons where I am there. Confess that to the Lord. Pray. Pray for increase. Be in your prayer closet and pray for boldness. But don't stay there. Pray, believe by faith. Get out of your prayer closet and go boldly proclaim. The Holy Spirit is with you. What have you to be afraid of? The other thing we don't want to pass over in this passage real quickly is, is this. <laughs> it's cool. It's, it's like right here in the word. It says that Apollos wasn't fully equipped. Apollos wasn't fully equipped. He was a guy who was, who was getting there, but he wasn't fully equipped. And what, is, what, what do we see Priscilla and Aquila come alongside and do? Disciple him. They make disciples. The Holy Spirit of God in and through us causes us to see and go and make disciples. They didn't leave that to Paul. They didn't leave that to the other elders or church ministry leaders who were coming onto the scene in that time. They said, we see a guy who's got potential to go and proclaim We've been given some. Let's give everything we've got and give it to him. And they make disciples. We talk about this a lot in this body. We've been talking about this for four months, five months. There is a battle that rages inside of us to just stay in our little perfect lives and bubbles and come to church and go to work and, and do some life with people. But when we, when, when we see in the word to make disciples, the very commandment of Christ and the Great Commission, we shrink back. I'm not ready. I'm ill-equipped. I don't have time for that. 
flesh. That's us succumbing to the, to our, to the sin that's still existent inside of us. Through the power and the spirit of God, Priscilla and Aquila seen a guy that needed more and they gave him all they had to give. They made disciples. Chapter 19, 1 through 10, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, Jews and Greeks. So here we have Paul. He comes back to Ephesus. We already seen him earlier. He passed through Ephesus. Now he comes back. So this would be the start of his third missionary journey. He comes back to Ephesus to proclaim the gospel as the Lord had, had directed him and, and, and called him to do. And he runs into these guys who had seen, who had kind of heard. They were there. They were on the scene. They were believing a little bit. Everything that they were hearing, they were taking it in. They were looking at it. They might have known about Jesus. They for sure had heard about John. And then Paul preaches the full gospel. Paul preaches the full and complete gospel to them. And they see, they believe, and the Holy Spirit of God comes upon them in power. So what does this tell us about gospel proclamation? What does this tell us about gospel proclamation? The full gospel must be preached. The full gospel must be preached. We can't, we can't pick and choose the most palatable pieces of the gospel to just throw at people. I know they're not going to like it if I call them a sinner, so I'm not going to do that. Eh, they're probably not going to believe in the resurrection, so I'll just leave that part out. can't pick and choose the pieces that sound nice and fluffy. You can't, Christ did. That's not, that's not the full thing. I think a genuine fear that, that, we, that, we, that we should have in, in churches today as we just see this, the, the church scene across America spring up and just go rampant. And they're just filling stadiums. Guys are writing books. It's all about live your best life now or just be the better you. Say these things to yourself in the mirror. That's not the gospel. That's not what Christ came, lived, and died and said about us. That's not why he did what he did. We need to stick to the gospel. We need to preach the whole gospel. We can't stop short. The full gospel. And we need to, as believers, we need to get into this word. We need to read. We need to see all of the times through the book of Acts how, how, how they preach, how Stephen, how Philip, how Peter, how Paul preaches it. Paul has an excellent, excellent rendition of it in, in First or Second Corinthians. And it's just like, yes, that's it. We have to get to all of those pieces. We don't need to shrink back from any of that. The gospel is the power unto salvation. 
We have to preach the full gospel. The other thing that's of note here in this passage is that Paul stayed for nearly three months in the synagogue. And he stayed in the synagogue until what? They're like, get out of here. We're done with you. But he stayed until that point. He stayed until that point. And then he removed himself from the synagogue, but he stayed in Ephesus another two years. Another two years. This stuff is laborious. This stuff is time intensive. We don't like just get to drop a little gospel proclamation here and be like, yep, did my job, I'm out. That's not what we see how the Holy Spirit of God works. The Holy Spirit of God in Paul says, go and be with these people. Keep proclaiming. Proclaim until they repent and believe or until they try to run you out of town. Keep proclaiming the gospel. I was at a pastor's conference this past weekend. It was at Western Seminary, and the speaker's name is Zach Eswine, and he, he said this, and, and it just it caught me, and I was just like, yes, that, that, that's right. And he says, while Western culture pressures us to do church large, famous, and fast, Jesus works in small acts of overlooked love over a long period of time. And we see that true of Paul here in Ephesus. Almost three years he stayed and proclaimed until there were believers and establishment of a local body following Christ. gave the gospel and they didn't believe okay go give it again i gave it again they didn't believe okay go give it again the gospel always invokes a response it always invokes a response it's either a response unto belief or it's a response unto rejection but it does invoke a response we then read how paul moves around to some of the other churches that he had established on some of his his first and second missionary journeys. He goes then through Macedonia and, and back to Corinth, and he's trying now to get back to Jerusalem in time of Pentecost. So, so he, he's circling back around now, and he's trying to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And there you see the, the passage about him preaching late into the evening and Eutychus dying. So that, that's a good exhortation for us not to fall asleep during the preaching on Sunday morning because you'll fall to your death and die. Coincidentally, Ron Halverson and I were talking about that earlier this week, and he said, actually, that's an exhortation to preachers. Don't preach so long that you kill your sheep. <laughs> but we see Paul now work, working back his way to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost, and he wants to go back to Ephesus, but he doesn't have time, and he knows if he gets in there, he's going to be there for a while. So he just calls the elders to him. He calls the elders of Ephesus to him. And this is a remarkable um, remark, probably the most remarkable, for, for me, the most remarkable s passage in this whole five chapters. And, and this whole thing really, we, we could spend days just going through this whole section. There is so much here in this passage, sections, chapters 20, 17 through 38, and, and we just, we, we can't do it today. This, this passage in here speaks to, to what it means to labor in love with one another for the sake of the gospel. It talks about how we are called to protect the gospel and walk in accountability with one another to stay true to what we have believed and been taught. It talks about how we are to preach the whole counsel of God and not shrink back from the hard truths of scripture. It talks about how there are tears and trials and suffering for believers. There's so much in there. But if you read through that, if you read through that, there is one specific set of passages that just makes exactly all of this come together. And it's passages 22 through 24, and this is Paul. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is Paul. He has seen and believed. He has this picture of Re- Revelation wasn't even written at this time, but he he sees this. Like he sees to the end of it. He sees the glory of God, the glory of the Son, and he is so enamored with it. He is saying, there is nothing in life or death that is more important than proclaiming the gospel and finishing this race. To that end, that's what drives Paul. By and through the Holy Spirit of God in him. That drives Paul to the point of just saying, I count it all a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. I hold on to nothing. I value nothing. But if only I can finish this race. He valued Christ and what Christ had done for him. He valued that. He said, no matter the cost, I'll go to my death. Because that, I believe, the son of glory comes down from his throne to the sin-filled world and dies a death that I deserve. There is nothing greater than that. I believe that. I have faith then that what he says is true, that one day I will praise him and at his feet in heaven for all of eternity. That drives Paul. We see that in these passages. That's what drives Paul. There's no other purpose for which we live except for this. There's no other purpose for which you were saved, Christian, except for this. We don't live for ourselves. We don't live for our kids. We don't live for our spouses. We don't live for our jobs. We don't live... For anything but for the glory of God and the proclamation of his gospel. That was the reason that you were saved. It's not to say we don't find enjoyment in spouses or children or family or friends. It's not to say we don't enjoy this. That's all, that all pales in comparison to Christ on the cross, resurrection from the grave for you and for me. That all pales compared to that. Can you see that? Can you see that picture of Revelation? All of us bowed at the feet of Jesus, praising him in all of his majesty and glory and honor and wisdom. Can you see that? Do you believe that? There is nothing else. He is worthy is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to live in reckless abandonment to that end picture. He is worthy. For the sake of the gospel, we hold on to nothing. Not even our life. In chapters 21 and 22, Paul then is returning to Jerusalem. He knew at this point, at least in his spirit, that he was perceiving that something was coming in Jerusalem. He was ideally wanting to get to Rome, and he knew this was not going to go well for him. He knew that. The spirit was testifying to that. And we see in chapters 21, verses 10 through 14, while we're staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and came to us. He took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done.
guy who has faith. That's a guy who loves Jesus. That's a guy who recognized his need for a savior when he had that Mack truck experience with the living God. And look how it's interesting that even his friends, his his fellow believers around him are urging him not to go. Don't do that. Don't do that. Why would you go? You know what's coming to you. Up in verse 4, it actually says some, some believers who were in the spirit even were saying, don't go, don't go. What a picture of our humanness, right? What a picture of our humanness. That even in spirit, even when we're thinking we have good, godly intentions, we will battle to keep our comforts and what is safe as opposed to that, that picture we have in Revelation. We will keep our comforts and what is safe as opposed to walking by faith and going wherever the Lord would lead us. We hear this in conversation all the time in the churches. God wouldn't want you to suffer. The Bible doesn't say you should die for your faith. Why would you leave family and friends to go proclaim the gospel? Family is important. Don't quit your job. You have kids and a family. Don't take them there. They might be killed. You don't need to proclaim at work. You'll get fired. God doesn't want you to be fired. Have you heard these types of things? Have you heard these types of reasonings? Good, in, I mean, maybe coming from good intentions from people that we know and love. But look at 13. When these very people are saying those things to Paul, Paul's response by and through the Holy Spirit of God in him says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That is belief. That is belief. I want to believe like that. I want to believe like that. And I know I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God to believe like that. Left in and to myself, there is nothing intrinsic about me that will believe something like that to my detriment. I won't get there. I am dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God to work this out in me. Salvation is not about you. Salvation is not about you. It's about Christ and God's glory. See and believe. The rest of those chapters then concludes with Paul arriving in Jerusalem, meeting with the elders. They they make up a plan for how he can go and help make not not, not cause these um, Jewish Christians to stumble. And, and I'll just I'll commend that reading um, to you on your on your own time. We can have the worship team start coming up. Look at here in look at here in Hebrews. Chapter 11, by faith Abel offered, by faith Enoch was taken up, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Moses. Those are all Old Testament names. Those are guys who who the Lord God revealed himself to, and they just believed it and had faith and lived this out. We're on the other side. We're on the New Testament side. We've seen Christ. We know Christ. We read about him in the scriptures. This is true. The tomb is empty. Christ is not there. 
He's called us to see and believe and have faith and go and proclaim. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Is that us today? Is that a good word for us today? We don't read Acts as a story about a bunch of Avengers. These are just normal people that had an encounter with the living God. And they believed. And they walked by faith. We see some really exciting, radical things. And it's fun to think about and to pray towards and to be a part of that. But at the end of the day, this is God's plan for that end picture of Revelation. He has saved us and called us and allowed us to see him in his glory and is calling us to walk by faith, to proclaim the gospel because he is worthy. Outside of the gospel for those that don't hear. There is a time coming when they will not see the throne of glory. There is a time coming for all those who are not saved. Will, they will never see the throne of glory. The Bible tells us the end for one who doesn't see and believe. Roman 10 tells us, how are they to see and believe if we don't go proclaim the gospel? To your friends, to your family, to your co-workers, to the people in Nepal, if that's where God sends you. Bro brother, sister, he has placed you strategically and ordained, ordainly daily with people that need to hear and see and believe. And it's by faith that you proclaim it's by faith it's not to do it's not a burden it's by faith that you proclaim so if you're here today and, 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 and you've not seen and believed I'd ask you today ha have you heard of the life death and resurrection of, of Jesus on your behalf have you ever contemplated your sin before a holy God? It's the difference between life and death. Have you seen and believed in your Savior, Jesus Christ? If you have, Peter would say in, in Acts, if you have, repent today, believe, and be baptized today and walk by faith that this is true and that picture of revelation includes you we have water down here today if you have seen and you've believed and you've never been baptized would you consider coming and taking that first step of faith to be baptized as a testimony of the holy spirit of god in you would you take that first step today Maybe you've believed for a long time and you've never taken that step of faith. Consider it, Christian. To the redeemed followers of, of Jesus in here today, this morning, 
Look at this passage again, Acts 20, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. My prayer for us today is that by and through the power of the Holy Spirit, this would be true of us. My prayer for us today that this would be true of us. What is holding you back? What are you holding on to in this life that is of more value? This Hebrews passage says, lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight and run to Jesus in faith by faith repent hear see believe behold Christ and God's glory be fervent in spirit and proclaim the gospel that's the message of Acts for us today let's pray